0: Hi there, pinball fans. It's your favorite clown, Krusty. And you're listening to Norman Shaggy on the TopCast, the greatest pinball show ever made.
1: Uh, can I get my money now? I'm such a whore.
0: You're listening to TopCast, this old pinball's online radio. For more information, visit them anytime. www.marvin3m.com topcast.
1: Welcome to the Thursday night edition of TopCast. We've got a special guest with us tonight. We've got Marvin Ugoda from Marvin's Marvelous Mechanical Museum in Farmington Hills, Michigan. Website Marvin3m.com, which I'm sure all you pinheads know about in some degree, more or less. But Marvin's here to tell us about his uh, endeavors in collecting and operating. He's been around. Uh, what you, he graduated from, uh, Marvin? What you graduated from, U of M, in what? Nineteen fifty-eight. Oh, sixty. Nineteen sixty. Don't make me older than that. <laughs> <my
0: gammit>. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, Marvin. Well, anyways, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Marvin a few questions. We're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, what he's been doing for the last forty, fifty years. <laughs> so, Marvin, you, know, you you graduated from the U of M in in nineteen sixty, and right. uh, what was your degree in?
0: Pharmacy. Pharmacy. Bachelor of Science in Pharmacy.
1: And how did you uh, span that over to the coin-op hobby or and or business?
0: Well, <clears throat> I uh, used to go to a nice little bar on Seven Mile in Detroit, and he had a Nickelodeon there. Actually, it was a Seaberg L, which is smaller than the Seaberg line, nice little, about four foot, about... Three foot wide and four foot high. Well, I like the Nickelodeon. I, I said to myself, i got to have one of these. Well, wait. Back up a little bit. Not everybody
1: knows what a Nickelodeon is. So why don't you tell us what a Nickelodeon is.
0: Well, a Nickelodeon is like the first uh, computer. You have a, a roll that's punched out. You have a, a row of uh, tubes where air trickles uh, through. And where the punch tool is, blows that note. So it's really like the old, old first computer cuz they actually had to do that by hand punching all these holes or they had a machine to punch them.
1: It's basically a player piano but instead of a um, being a piano it's a yeah, uh,
0: It's a player piano. It's noise. It's like an orchestra and they had different uh, instruments. Player piano with instruments called a orchestrian is another name for it. And uh they had drums and uh uh xylophone glockenspiel and items like that that uh added to the i think to the fullness of the sound
1: well it was like a it was like a band in a box right a coin operated band yeah, in and, a box and
0: coin operated right. and usually usually uh there was a hole in the middle that when they reached that hole in the middle it was a shut off and shut it off till they put the nickel in but uh, they really did start with nickels. And uh, actually, the first Nickelodeons were made by Seberg, who everybody knows, so the uh, same people made the jukeboxes, and Wurlitzer, who was one of the first in uh, music. They even have a Wurlitzer building downtown Detroit, about 10 stories high, and they sold pianos and so on. And Wurlitzer located not too far from here, near, near Buffalo. And to any other world, sir, they had um, another company called LINK, L-I-N-K. Now the owner of LINK also developed the LINK trainer, which was a very famous trainer. in World War II, they trained pilots, but they trained them static, and a trainer like that. And he developed, his his forte in this Nickelodeon business was an endless role, you know, just keep going. I mean, it would stack up and keep going, so that way, music kept playing like that. I'm just trying to think of some of the other. Uh...
1: And what? And why were you attracted to the Nickelodeon?
0: Well, I attracted because it was mechanical music. It was mechanical. And I just, I, I liked to see what it was, and you know, even even a dope like me could understand how it worked because uh, it was just very, very interesting and in how so the, they got sound like that.
1: So this was around 1960? 60 or so?
0: Yeah, just about. Actually, what happened when I went to school in Ann Arbor in the 50s, there was a river downtown, in downtown Ann Arbor, and you go to the uh, canoe the was- livery. It
1: was the Washtenaw, right? Yeah,
0: I think yeah. Washtenaw. But they had a canoe livery there, downtown, near Main Street, and they used to rent canoes. So uh, I went down, the livery was called a canoe livery, it was down some steps, and this guy collected a bunch of Nickelodeons. I don't know how many he had, 10, 12, 15, down in the area where people waited. Well, I graduated and uh, and, and saw this Seaberg L at somebody's house. I said, damn, I know where there's a bunch of Nickelodeons. I'm going to go get me one. Well, guess what? I went down there, and just the year before, he sold all those mu- music machines to Disney. I forgot where the first Disney, in California or Florida? Yeah, California. Well, he sold it at Disney. And uh, that's where all those beautiful Nickelodeons went. So then that just started me on a chase. And uh, right near my house, this little bar we used to go to, had made really great hamburgers. I can't remember the name now, but He had a Nickelodeon there, too. Well, he wasn't ready to sell it. But from that day on, which is in the 60s, early 60s, I just kept watching the WAN ads, and uh, I did find a WAN ad in a little town off I-94, not far from Muskegon I think it was, and this guy had a Nickelodeon, Seabird KT, and I bought that along with a beautiful Regina Upright Changer music box. It has steel discs that go up and down, and uh, it's a wonderful machine. And it started in the early 1900s, and I bought a couple slot machines from them, too. It just seemed people that like one thing, they, they like the whole gamut of these same type of machines.
1: Were they expensive?
0: Well, uh, expensive. I mean, in those days, whenever you buy things in that era, they're expensive. But, you know, I'm going to just give you an idea, like going to the Chicago show where a lot of arcade games came through. Say there's five collectors. A sells at the B a little private. B sells at the C, a little bigger price. C to D bigger, and D to E, bigger. And and you know what? What sets the price of these arcade games? The last sale. That's what sets the price.
1: So like back in the in the '60s when you were buying them, I mean, were you paying fifty bucks, hundred bucks, ten bucks, well, a thousand know, bucks?
0: You mean for what?
1: The music? Well, like machines? so yeah, say the Nickelodeon and the slot yeah, the machines. and that.
0: Still expensive. They were 4000 dollars even back then. Well, yeah, I they I mean they just there's a there's a a couple of guys named Hathaway and Bowers. I don't know if you ever heard those names before. Hathaway and Bowers were located in California and they used to put out a catalog of all these Nickelodeons and violanos and and uh
1: and violanos were basically a, a mechanical um <laughs> uh violin player. Yeah, violin I mean, that played, I mean, yeah.
0: but, but the difference was these other played with vacuum pumps. And the violano played with magnetic magnets and sparks and had a big DC motor and really cool how it sounded and, and a, a battery of, of magnets and that's how it played with magnets opening and closing the valves like that. And actually the violin is one of the largest amounts of musical instruments ever made. And that's why so many of them survive today. I had one too. I had a Beautiful, double violin,
1: Viol- Violano. You yeah. Mean. Well,
0: uh, we are. Uh, people call it a violin, but it is a violano, violano, which is a violin piano is a violano. But uh, I think they're mostly referred to as violin machines because actually there are other ones like Hupfield from Germany that played three violins, but they went in a three sixty. These violins were like a regular roll, and then they had a double violin which was rare, and uh, I had one of those so just recently, and I sold that. But the violins, actually, if you got the right role, there's beautiful music you played. I remember I had a Steve roll from uh, those old, you know, those down south music, and it was just, the way they recorded was very good. Now here's the, the funny thing is, the better the songs were, the worst that they you know, stayed because they played those all the time. The worst roles were never played, and that's why you probably find those in much better condition. There was a guy in California named Ray Sue, S-I-U. He was a butcher, by the way, in San Francisco, and he started recutting these violin rolls. And now there's somebody else that makes them. I think they're maybe a couple hundred dollars a roll. And like
1: a violano, aren't they about $50,000 today? Well,
0: I don't know. They used to hover around. The singles used to be around five, eight, ten thousand. 10000 Maybe I'm thinking too far back. And, and here's another interesting thing. The violano played with a, a disc that went around and around, and then it was lifted up and down on the strings. Those were hard to get because those were made out of a celluloid material same thing that film, old films were made out of, and uh, there just wasn't that material around. Then another guy started making those, uh, called bow wheels, and, and uh, he uh, started selling quite a few of them. There was another guy from Washington, I mean from uh, Milwaukee, but he took a lot of guys in this business, like like what happens sometimes. But the violano, uh. It was always one of my favorite machines, and uh, just a musical violin. What a what a uh, interesting thing that is! By the way, the and it all all coin operated, obviously. Yeah, coin operated. By the way, the fellow who made that the old story was that he went nuts after he designed and made this uh, violin. He went crazy, but uh, it was a good machine. It was out in the public. There's a lot of little nice books that show a lot of the pictures where they were. They've been on ships. Uh, you know, cruise ships, all over, and and they, uh, I just like the appeal was very just a sweet thing in violino, and uh, you know also they were, uh, Wurlitzer. Well, this this was Mills that made this, same Mills that made the slot machines in later years. But the Wurlitzer, which was big in the Nickelodeons, like the probably the most uh, desirable one was the H. Worlds are H, because they added the most instruments in it. Well, uh Worldshire even made a harp. A self-playing harp. Imagine that. A great big ha- harp. And uh, that's very rare. because Rare because they didn't make too many of them. It just didn't have the same appeal as the violin does. But now, today, well, here, well, here's another point about the violin. Violano. What I liked about it is <coughs> it was run by a great big DC motor. <coughs> when they started... When that A.C. turned to D.C., it was a big, you know, like it started slow and, and it went faster and faster. But today, because of the fires and so on, they, they've changed uh, some of the electrical, I forgot what you call these things. You, you
1: mean the selenium rectifiers that <laughs> converted A.C. to D.C.?
0: Yeah, but no, they don't use that anymore. They use those power supplies or something that'll, right. that'll work a little better and, uh, so it makes it a lot easier for the violin to play because if you look at the old violinos they were all, the chords were ran wrapped, and it really was a fire hazard after a while because you never knew internally what was going to you know, what could happen. matter of fact, there was a big collector, California. I think his name was Dr. Rudy. I can't remember his last name. He was one of the first collectors had a wonderful collection in his home in California and and guess what a fire started and burned everything well it didn't burn them completely out but it burned them. even the restoration was not very feasible sometimes so at that time and this is about twenty five years ago some of these guys I knew were going to start an insurance uh, company that would deal mostly in these musical machines the reason because uh, if they're your machines you, you don't want them to burn up you don't want them to go bad but the other hand, you have like a policy, because what happened? The insurance companies couldn't believe the value of some of these machines. If you're in the, if you're, you know, in the probably you you know what the value is, but the insurance company couldn't fathom paying forty thousand for just a piece of wood with with some instruments in it. But that never came to fruition. That deal with the insurance, but I thought it was a good idea. Hmm. Self-insure now, wh- yourself.
1: Now, so you started collecting <laughs> this stuff in the 60s. Right. When did you actually start operating?
0: Well, <coughs> excuse me, I my first love was these music machines. In my house, I had 13, I call it pianos, because even the violano has a great big steel harp in the back. I had 13 different Nickelodeons, <laughs> and, and including one big band organ you can hear for a block away. And then... uh I don't know. You start. I started buying some arcade games that time.
1: Yeah. What kind of arcade games?
0: Well, what kind? Those would probably be the first things that people. Uh, well, actually, different era.
1: You mean like Mutoscope, Atomic Bomber type stuff?
0: Well, that's a later one. The first, the first, a wave of machines that people wanted were those cast iron and oak. I mean, they all weren't made of cast iron and oak, but that was the basic, uh, basic material they used. And you know, with oak, with oak around, that oak lasted for a long time. Especially if people painted those cabinets, that paint actually protected that oak. The beautiful oak, quarter saw oak. Cause oh, I my favorite quarter oak. And um, so, are you talking about like the mutoscope movie machines? Well, the mutoscopes, the first ones were cast iron. And I have one of the first ones. It's called an Indian. <coughs> Excuse me, a very detailed casting too. And that's it's in my place, and I had a lady detailed every. It came to me gray, and then she found the, detailed every piece of that thing, and it's really beautiful, including peaches on the legs and Indian pictures and so on. Well, by the way, I'm just and and
1: what to, is it? Uh, that you know, we should make it clear what that what it is. It's a it's a movie viewer.
0: Yeah, it's a movie viewer where the where there's a tab that holds you know in a roll in a reel. There's about. Five or 700 pictures in a reel. And as you flip that reel, holding it on top, it animates that, that roll like a movie. Well, by the way, I want to just mention one other thing about the violins. Unfortunately, most of those parts in the violins were made out of wet, white metal. I forgot what the other name was. for white pot, metal. Pot metal, you mean? Pot metal. And you know what have the pot metal? It deteriorates. So for a long time, there was no active source of... of uh, Parts for the violin, violano. But now there are, there are people that recast these things, cast them out of brass instead of that pot metal. So they, of course they last a lot longer. But uh, there were some people made made rolls, and there's another guy in California who actually bought that name Mills, and uh, he started producing parts and and. Uh, and rolls, also cutting rolls, but in this in this piece there's one guy in Ohio uh, Terry Hoho is the name he 's probably the most prominent restorer of violins in the country. He has, I was down to a shop there in uh, northern Ohio he's got a bunch of old time guys that the uh, guys that do the cases you know restore that wood in the cases, and some piano men who could string the pianos and yeah, one operation. He's really been a big source of help for uh, these these uh, violin machines. The violinos. Violino. You Here's another interesting story about the violino. I'm familiar and become a friend of mine, uh magician, David Copperfield. He's visited me several times, and I visited the house in New York, too. He lives in a around 50th cell on the Park Avenue. It was a very classy, elite place, and he lives on about the 60th floor of this building with a penthouse and so on. Well, he wanted to get one of these double violins when he saw it.
1: Violins, double violins.
0: Well, you know, I'm used to say, old timers say violins, by the way, violano violin. So he wanted to get one of these things. And the only way he could get it, you know, being on the 70th floor, it would be nice if he could have taken up the freight elevator. He couldn't. Well, supposedly they hired a crane and brought it on the outside up to a window. Of course, he could, whatever the cost was, it didn't matter to him. That's just an interesting story about the violin, and the double, of course, is the most collectible, and the oak was more collectible than the mahogany, and they had some different, uh, you know, different facades, like a, you know, I can't remember all these names, but there's a bow front. One was called a bow front, and that means it was round on the top, and uh, very, very nice. They, they uh, mills, that was one of their key pieces for a long time, mills.
1: Okay, so off the violano and onto the more of the arcade pieces. What were some of the arcade stuff that you were collecting, other than like the the um, other than the
0: mutoscope stuff,
1: like uh, the game wise and fortune tellers, and you know what were you, well, what were you looking for?
0: When I, you know, I I wasn't actively collecting arcade machines until I started this little business in Tally Hall, and I did collect some. I had a I had a real nice. Cleveland Grandma—that's called Cleveland Grandma—paid about three thousand dollars for it. Today, it's going for thirty-five thousand. Yeah, I, I like the cranes too. These different types of uh, cranes. There are quite a, a few cranes that they made, and, and what happened? They were illegal for a long time. But when I opened this place in Tallyall, it's some cranes. This fellow, his name was Arthur 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 Holse. He was a s- senator. Michigan Senate and he helped well, they, when they got so common these cranes they passed a law that they had to be inspected every year for the coils so they wouldn't weak and shouldn't pick something up and so on but uh, uh, he they ex- exempted me I, by, you can read that on the law whenever it was that uh, I was exempt because of the old games made I don't remember the age and by the way that same thing when the slot machine started come out we passed a law i really helped this guy norby he died already but we went to lansing several times and made this law that the machines had to be 25 years or older you mean for individuals to own a slot machine in michigan yeah. it was okay
1: legal if, if it was 25 years or older and you right. got that law passed yeah, I was, so you could operate old slot machines well no you can't,
0: couldn't operate slot machines but you could possess it you could Before possess you, it You know, you can see all the old pictures, how they used to axe these machines. Matter of fact, I had one in my place. I think Clay has it right down the stairs. Yeah, I got it right Right. around the corner. And when I used to put I put that note on it, it was found in the Detroit River after they axed it up and threw it down there, which maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. That I couldn't tell you for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure it wasn't. The old games, (laughs) what happened to me in the business I had, they didn't allow me to have any new games. That's when Pac-Man just started. And they didn't allow that. So what I used to do is look for old games that would be interesting for people. You know, and, uh, in those old days when the arcades, they had the games for five, ten years. They didn't change every, you know, like a pinball. They didn't come out with eight a year. They had the basic games and stayed there and played them and play them. So they, there were a lot of them. And you just had to dig those machines out because people would give it to somebody and then it would stay in the basement for 15, 20 years. And but basically uh just like these old Gottlieb's, leaves they're all the same aren't they play I mean no. all <laughs> I mean not all, but you know here you got four lined up, guess the wall, five, six, seven eight lined up aren't they all basically the same
1: well, they're all the same, you know basic size and dimension, but they're different games well,
0: a different play field, but aren't they the same flippers and the same configuration <laughs>
1: yeah, same configuration, basically,
0: well anyways, it just this just seemed to be a hobby. That proliferated because it was fun, and you know I mean uh, it wasn't very expensive those days. You know these pinballs you have here, you could buy them for fifty bucks. I don't remember how far back. I remember though, fifty dollars, seventy-five dollars. All these god leaves, I don't know what what age this is. They were easy to pick up, and when people moved, they didn't want to take these out of the basement. They're too heavy, too big, especially bowling machines and these. So it wasn't that hard to find a lot of stuff? Some was good shape, like Some wasn't. Actually, the worse the machine was playable, the better shape it was. Nobody played it. Or well, some was.
1: And what was your like best collecting story as far as like you know finding a machine and you know in the you know something you were really looking for and a good story behind it? Well,
0: Dick Bouchelle told me this story. Uh, Dick was a really a wonderful guy. He helped. A hobby he wrote all these books, and uh oh, just going back a little this friend of mine Norby, when we passed that law twenty five years or older
1: on the slots on the
0: slots they were these bally money honeys that were not they were newer, but these these guys used to stamp the date in the in the machine, you know what with a with a chisel or whatever you used to do hit the hit that stamp in nineteen twenty five or nineteen thirty eight actually because whoever examined it, they wouldn't know if it was. 1910 or 1960. But that's what these guys just to plan a, you know, actually put a date in there with a stamp on the metal in there. And uh, what, what was the last thing you asked me about? Uh, what, uh, oh, about sorry. That. Oh, I'm going to tell you the story. That's really good. I'll tell you about slot machines. The older slot machines, same thing with cast iron and oak were probably the most valuable machines because cast iron yeah, that's what they originally were made out of—not aluminum, not whatever else it is. So Dick told me the story once. He went into an antique shop out on Michigan because he was from Chicago and he had a summer home on Lake Michigan in, in Michigan. Go in there and he knew—you know—he almost knew about what the price was, but it kept going up and up. Like I say, after the guy sold it from one guy to the next guy, every time that it was sold, the price went up. So he said, "Say he knew this machine was." Uh, well, let's see say say he could get twenty five hundred dollars for the machine so the lady when they, he sees the machine on the floor how much well he didn't he didn't want to, there was two ways or how much would you give me she said well he didn't know exactly what to answer because if you said five hundred and she didn't know she might get mad and say get out of here if you offered her twelve hundred. You say, geez, I paid a hundred for it. Something this might be more more valuable. Than I think it is. So that's that was sort of a fun of buying things. Doesn't mean you cheated anybody, but you just had to be, you, know, you had to be a little astute at what you're doing because you didn't want to ruffle their thoughts. But still, if you like something, you got you can't show too much to be too eager. They know they, the price keeps going up. Well, that's what happened with the first machines, and I think it probably still happens today. When you go to somebody's house, and they don't know exactly what it is, so what? What is the deal? If you steal it from somebody, is that good, or is the chase the most fun? Where you find something, and you try to negotiate a price, and as long as both people are happy, it works sometimes. But uh, that's been that way for a long time on the prices of arcade machines, especially. Now, what what happened in the beginning? And this friend of mine is still around. Gordon Rewey, who's an auctioneer, he lives up in Lapeer. There was a big arcade in Chicago that closed down and they had all these machines, you know, 100, 150 different machines stored in a place. Well, Gordon found this place and he started buying some of these older things. Uh, he had a big auction himself. <clears throat> I bought a bean crane, you know, a Williams, I think it was a Williams bean crane. Paid about $300 that time. <laughs> but that's the only way you can find, but you can find big, uh, big collection like that with arcade closed down, because there was a time when arcade business wasn't so good either, and they closed. I remember one time, I saw a little ad in the Antique Trader, and I went with a friend of mine to Oklahoma, and this guy had a traveling carnival, traveling carnival and, and the carnival, I always set up a tent with an arcade in it, and let me tell you, if there was these uh, bowlers, I forgot what the bowling... What, the was. ball bowlers you mean? No, the big one. Big, heavy bowler in the basketball game. Yeah, you've seen him. He's got a mirror in the back. Two-player. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't make any difference. He, I saw, I went to his little place in, in uh, New Mexico. Where he had just died. There were 20 of these bowling machines. You buy it for $100. Just like a ball breaker, those things. But today, I don't even know what, the, what they're going for, but... They keep going up in value because they're harder to find. And of course, a lot of the parts have to be made by somebody. and uh, But, you know, the chase is half the fun. When you get it home, it just doesn't look the same as where you find it. And uh, I remember an antique trader was a good source for things because uh, people knew it ab- about it because they had other antiques. And they went, you know, it would take three weeks by the time they got the story to be published and put on the street. So a lot of the times the stuff was gone already. But uh, the trader today is about a sixteenth of an inch thick. Those days used to be an inch thick. kind of good So things changed. And, you know, what, what happened, it was a lot easier to find things then. Just like if you won't go to the Chicago show, today you hardly even see any good old, Uh, arcade machines. You see stupid stuff from Japan or China, but you don't find any real arcade machines. Well, you do a little bit. The only other thing now, these days, somebody goes away to heaven and they have a collection. Wife couldn't wait to get the, you know, what she calls, get the shit out of here. So that's a good way today about finding machines. Sometimes you have to buy the whole lot to get what you want and sell the others off. All right, Martin, let's take a little break. Uh, we'll just take a, a, a,
1: a couple minute break here and uh, we'll be right back. Think you have what it takes to get on a Topcast? So do we. The truth is, we can't get enough of these personal promos. You know. Hi, this is Rick Swanson. This is Eric A. Hey, this is Cliffy. Hey, this is Curb, and you're listening. Hey, Pinnets, this is Mr. And So if you have a sensational desire to hear yourself plugging to Topcast on virtual radio, and we really hope you do. Send The Corn an email, and he'll give you instructions on how you can be on the next show. T-H-E-K-O-R-N at T-H-E-K-O-R-N dot net. The Corn at the dot net. And we'll get you fixed up right away, and probably on the next show. guys, is brought to you by Marco Specialties, your pinball parts superstore. Visit their website at marcospecialties.com search for parts by game name, game make, or part number. Marco Specialties was founded in 1985 and is headquartered in Lexington, South Carolina. They specialize in pinball parts, supplies, books, and anything pinball. Marco has been online since 1996 and is the web's oldest and largest pinball parts supplier. Their new 12,000 square foot distribution center services 25,000 customers in over 50 countries. Feel free to call Marco Specialties at 803-957-5500. Marco Specialties, your pinball parts superstore at marcospecialties.com. Okay, we're back with Marvin again. Marvin Ugoda from Marvin3M.com. Marvin's uh, been collecting for you know what, forty, fifty years, and he's uh, just telling us some stories about uh, what he's collected and his uh, in you know, how he operated and how he actually got some laws changed uh, for slot machines to uh, so you could legally own slot machines in Michigan. That were 25 years of age or older. But what other arcade type stuff uh, where you collected Marvin that was, uh, you know, that has passed through your hands?
0: Oh, well, I know. I remember one. Of course, I started in Tally Hall, and uh, it was my wife found these people. They just opened. That was the first food court in the United States. And I, I knew this fellow that owned it, and uh, asked him to put in some games, entertainment. So I was all the entertainment with this 10,000 people a week passing through there. And the only thing they stipulated they didn't want modern games like that was when Pac-Man just started and all the other pinball games were going to a different level. And uh, uh, I remember stories about Pac-Man games. They have a coin box. You know, you go back to collect it. There was so much money you wouldn't you couldn't even the money wouldn't even drop out of the coin acceptor anymore. Those were the good old days. It's really unbelievable how much People played these games. Well, I started when I had my business there in in the tally hall. They didn't want the new games. They didn't want the electronic games. So I just looked for interesting mechanical games that uh, you know, like the diggers and the fortune tellers and and uh, you know uh, kissometers. By the way, people either like love or strange hate. Or, or torture. Uh, so, of course, the love machines, where you squeeze the handle, tell what kind of lover you are. Well, the torture machines were one like I have, a big old steel machine that shows five or six different kinds of torture. Like you stretch somebody on there, you put a hot branding iron on them. And stuff like that. So that's where it perks people's interest. And
1: well, that, you, you got a, a 1937 Rockola World Series at one point, too, right?
0: Yeah, well, that was a nice game. Well, Batman. where did that come from? Well, it came from another collector I remember down in Chicago. I mean, in Cleveland. Frank DeCaro was really an old-time collector. I think I paid 2000 1800 for that game. There and wh- what year was that? When I when I bought it? Yeah. Well, it's got to be somewhere in the 60s, I guess. 60s, early 70s. And that game had a couple broken men. You know, they had a steel ball that hit with a bat so I had a real nice friend of mine who who was a sculptor she sculpted all kinds of brass and copper pieces well she sculpted these men for me and remember that we had them cast and she painted them real nice and I sold all of them because people needed those figures because they're the ones that break you know when you hit hit a certain way with a ball they break by the way I was remember I, I was looking for things and I found a guy in New York, his name was Ralph Bowney, one of the first big collectors. I, I remember going to see him in New York and uh, I brought it in the plane home this uh, coin-operated microscope. It was made by Bausch and Lam. I think it must have been a prototype because it had number three stamped in there. And it showed yeah, a slideshow that went around, pictures of mosquito, uh, stingers, and... and uh, Hair, crab hair, whatever the hell it was in there. And that Ralph Bounty had some wonderful old things that, since they've made a couple reproductions of them. But that's what, when I went to see them, that's why I had to have these pieces that weren't modern. I got uh, fortune tellers. Beautiful. I bought a Cleveland Grandma there. I think about 1500 or 1800 Beautiful. And then I saw it, I don't know, I sold it for four grand or something. Now yeah, they they're worth thirty-five like, grand or yeah, forty grand, yeah, if you can find one. If you can find one, and it used to be a Dresden doll in there. That was not even a wax face. Oh, you know, I had another one. I had a I had a Munchies like Zelda, or one of them. They're all the same, just had different names. In my head, I was gonna put a wax head in. Listen, this, this is a bad story. I was gonna put a wax head in there, and I found on the front page of uh, Antique Trader, lady who made wax hands and head. So. I don't know, she's in Illinois someplace. <coughs> she was going to deliver that finished product to the Chicago Man Show. So she brought it to me. It was in 8 She Brought it to me. A beautiful head, beautiful set of hands I can put in there. Guess what? Put them in my van. Guess what? Four hours later, they've fuckers all melted down. <laughs> what, you mean they were wax? Wax melted right down. <coughs> so I felt bad about that. I think I had somebody make me a paper mache head after that. But those were the kind of pieces we wanted—fortune tellers and love tellers—and of course cranes. I had a bunch of really nice old cranes. I stuck with American pieces, made in the states. But later on, uh, there's a few English pieces, a few French pieces, German pieces that were interesting too that I liked. Oh, so. I changed. I mean, I didn't mind collecting a foreign piece, but I still like the American pieces better.
1: Well, now, w- eventually, though, the Tally Hall place closed, right?
0: Yeah, what they did—too many kids were hanging around there, and, and they had about eighteen or twenty vendors in Tally Hall, but they could only sell one product. In other words, one guy sold French fries, and the other vendor couldn't sell French fries. One guy had a those kind of potatoes; nobody else could have those. One guy had salads; nobody else could. So, well, that concept was real good at the beginning. Like other restaurants, it just sort of died off. And and a restaurateur, to keep his people, you know, interest alive, just like today, you got to change your menu a little bit. You got to add certain things. And they we couldn't add them in in this particular venue like that. So, it closed, and I really was heartbroken because I I was doing good business in there, and I didn't know what to do with all these machines. So it closed. Oh, I know one thing. They they didn't even collect rent for a lot of people almost a year because they wanted everybody out of there. I paid my rent all the time, so they had to do something with my lease. So they, they let me store the games, and when they built this new tally hall, they let me back in there. I did have some trouble with the city with a license because they don't like to license like arcades, and probably the major reason, because it becomes a kids' hangout, and they... The police come, they have an idea like if the police come 20 times a month, it costs them $50 on a police run, costs them 1000 So they like to eliminate possibilities of police having to go there. So I was lucky, I respect I cost me a little money with an attorney, but we showed them that we had a clean business, we operated clean. And uh, that's how I was lucky to get this license. And that's why you were also
1: trying to deem yourself as a museum versus an arcade. <laughs> well, that yeah, was uh, kind of a, a slight sleight of hand. No,
0: no, it wasn't no a sleight of hand. <laughs> Only sleight of hand when you jack yourself a little bit. That's the sleight of hand. But <laughs> <laughs> the point is, I the museum title it did differentiate than writing arcade. Cause arcade. People think of arcade. You think of a sleazy place with a bunch of long, greasy-haired guys, you know, hanging out there instead of going to school. And this, you know, I tried to get away from that connotation like that. So we called it a museum. Actually, it's still a museum. I mean, there's pieces in there you won't find in a lot of places. But uh, the other, on the other hand, I suffered because people like arcade. just didn't say anything about arcade because the kids tell a museum they don't even want to go to a museum. So that was fun for me, too. They don't want to go there. It's a museum. Well, once they get in, they didn't want to leave. And uh, it's been like that for a long time in my place. It's different. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a space engineer. I pack 10 pounds of shit in a five-pound bag. <laughs> couldn't move, You couldn't move around there. But I it just, just like the things. I just keep, I kept buying them. But, you know, it's like anything else with a collector. Your interest changed a little bit what you would never sell in a million years, now your interest changes to something else, and you go that direction most of the time. I look in this basement, I don't even know how the hell you get all these pinballs in or out of here. <laughs> Do you? Glad yeah. you Lucky for you, your wife permits it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe so. You know, You know. there's an old story about a guy was getting remarried, he had a rabbi up in front, and he was um, trying to find out, Who's dominant in the marriage? Is it a man or the woman? So he said all the, all the men that are dominant in, in the dominant marriage line up over here. One guy lined up. All the women dominant in the marriage, on the left side, they they were lined out the door. So the little guy comes and says, what, what are you doing? I can't understand. What are you doing in that line? He says, my wife told me to stand over there. So in other words, you got to have a wife that at least lets you alone with these things. I don't know how you do it. You have to maybe buy her some jewels or something.
1: Yeah, some jewels. That's it. That's Just what I'm doing.
0: Buy her another pinball. What's yeah. Name?
1: Yeah, that's it. Well, anyway, so then you got Marvin's marvelous mechanical museum operating, and you were mostly at that point still running the old games.
0: Yeah. You know, we used to buy a, used to buy a one of those gun games, a single for fifty, a double for eighty or ninety. Uh, the first week, I could take it fifty, sixty dollars out of the machine. Why? Because there was no competition there, and the people hadn't seen that in a while, and they played those gun games. I mean, for their for their time, they were okay. You know, they operated with a underneath with a with a stylus, with a stylus hitting the whatever the points. Yeah, are. little little brass points, right? So it really wasn't. Yeah, a lot of times they were out of out of sync. alignment. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times, but. So that's what I, I started. Then I started sneaking in some stuff like I snuck in some pinballs. And actually, I did these same electromechanical pinballs I started with. But then I started with a with an electronic. And I mean, no difference. We're talking about the lay public now, not collectors or not people who know about these. But a person that has a lot more fun with electronic than they do with this older... Pinball. Matter of fact, I tried one in my place just recently, and it just didn't do any work there. And the new ones they just like it, but they get tired of the new ones too because, you know, they used to come out eight a year when they had Bally and Daddy East and whoever else there was making those pinballs. There's a lot of pinballs, in. and then you had to know which one to buy and which not to buy. But anyways, that's. That's what happened, and uh, that's why you don't find too many arcades around today either. Because they just, especially with the advent of all the home games, the manufacturer can sell maybe, I'm just using numbers, a thousand, uh, a thousand games for the arcade. In the home, home he could sell 25,000 or 30,000. So where is he going to devote all his R&D and thoughts? For the home market, not the arcade market. So... That's why the demise of this arcade business.
1: So you were running gun games and doing pretty well with them and buying them cheap. A quarter.
0: I mean, you know, I used to take that nickel thing off. and The nickel, the nickel acceptor? Yeah, a nickel or a dime acceptor and make it a quarter for five shots or whatever. I don't remember. I used to have Dale guns in there and all kinds of, Yeah, you know, I had a nice little kiddie ride that had a gun that just shot on top. Right I know that was a ballet or something like that, of course they made a new one like that several years ago too but now
1: now tell us about your hookup with um with gene poor
0: oh well, you know i uh i went to there's a nice show every year in the fall called IAPA International Association of parks and attractions and this and this show it's for all types of attractions uh you know, aquariums and places like Disney or Hershey Park. Yeah, amusement and, parks. Amusement parks and all kinds of other, you know, roadside attractions and so on. What they show there is uh, they show food, they show safety operations, and they show games. Games that people can play. You know, photo games and this game. So, you know, I saw this guy's booth, and it was Life Formations, just in Ohio, just 60 miles from us here. And he had, his new technology was with some kind of molded stuff that you couldn't tell it wasn't real skin. And he used air compressor. He used these, uh, I forgot what you call them, pneumatic, uh, whatever they're called, so they could make human movements. Unbelievable. And I, This guy, Gene Poore, I just fell in love with him and the place. and So I got him to make me a couple pieces that I really like. My philosophy is, that uh, I don't care old or new, but it's, you know, some people say I only collect old, I only collect this you know oak and iron but still some people who can create some interesting things and the whole thing is when you have a business you want things that people like, they get entertained so I don't. in my own philosophy I care old or new, I just like it because I like it and, and I even don't care, I mean it doesn't bother me about the reproductions because Uh, Reproductions means there's more out there. I mean, the price is affected, but there's more out there, and more people get interested. Because to keep a hobby going, you have to have new people interested. The old people there dies out, so you have to stimulate some new interest. So they can bring back some of these old machines that were. There's a couple guys that have done that, too, and they've done reasonably well with it. The only thing, there's a guy named John Papa from New York, nice guy. He, he sells a lot of things, and there used to be a game called Electricity Is Life. It's an old one from the 20s, and used two handles, and actually would give you a shock with a big meter telling you, you know, you're a pisser, you're a strong man, whatever the thing went. But he made a beautiful, beautiful reproduction of this Electricity Is Life, and, and the original one he had a back glass with sparkle on it. I mean, this is really beautiful. What I like what he did. He signed it in the back. His name. How many? It's one of eighteen, and so on. Not because of what happens. You don't get fooled there, but sometimes down the road, some collector might be fooled by the, you know, buying something that isn't old. And you know that. I mean, it's still good, but old. You got to pay one price, and new. You got to pay another price. Hmm. So, uh, what do you think, Clay? I mean,
1: do you do it, you want to take if. Do you mind if people call in, Marvin? No, I don't mind. No. Do you, if anybody has any questions, uh, they can give us a call, or they can give Marvin a call, and we can talk to Marvin on the phone if you got a question. Um, the phone number is one eight hundred. If you got a, if you got a question but for play, Marvin,
0: yeah, this reminds me, the first uh, arcade type piece that I bought was a chicken machine that dispensed eggs. Yeah, it was very simple, I had a turntable. Put a quarter in the turntable turn when the two holes lined up. The egg fell out. I there's a lady, a pie lady who was selling pies. She used to get mad because I had a buck, 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 you know, that was part of the sound effect. She used to unplug it all the time. I looked, I still have that machine. That's I looked in the meter, two hundred and twenty thousand plays on that little machine. I I bought it new, it a zero. Two hundred and twenty thousand plays. You figure the mathematics.
1: Was it a quarter a play?
0: Yeah, a quarter. And the eggs used to cost about six or seven cents. But I always try to get eggs with the best prizes, not because people get a little piece of crap in there for a quarter. They don't like it. But if you give them something called perceived value that looks better, you, uh, I mean, it's just better all around. People don't mind. Anyways, that's. uh, I I always like the photo machines, too. We used to have these. Called auto photo, where they take the four strip color in black and white. The only problem these days is, well, you have to change the chemicals all the time. There's actually some silver in the black and white. What you have to do is dispose of that properly. You know, because uh, you have to change those chemicals because they wear out after the more use, the more they wear out. But you know, a lot of people are just taking that and dumping it in the alley or dumping it someplace. But you can't do that anymore. So that was some of the demise of the photo machines. Plus now,
1: any good photo machine stories? We had Tim Arnold on. He had some great photo machine oh, stories yeah. where the where the strips would yeah. get stuck with you know somebody's girlfriend doing some nice pictures for their you know their
0: boy. Well, I don't. I don't uh, <laughs> really. I don't know how they get stuck. Oh, they would get stuck. They'd like to be a a you know, folder, instead of coming out the slot, they'd sort of scissor together, you know, like this. But, you know, the thing is, I have some machines that have a little television camera on the outside, so you can see what's going on, on the inside. And this fellow I know that made these machines had a big lawsuit in the mall. They, you know, they had these, somebody, whatever they are doing inside the game, and you could see it right on the screen. And the mall just had a nit fit, because, you know, it was some pornographic thing they People could go watch as they went by. You know, listen, being in business is tough. You know? there's, always, there's always people trying to beat you with something. Well, I found some scales. You know, scales used to be a penny. And they used to collect them three, four times a year. Bags of pennies used to come out of there. bags. So, uh, sometimes old guys used to market a dime. So if they found out a penny worked, they'd put in ten pennies. I mean, people, they don't... People machines, that's why they kick them and hit them because you don't like a machine outsmarting you, so they kick them. Now, that, nothing's going to do anything. But even that way, if you think you beat that machine because it says a dime, you used a penny, so you do it more. You can do it more 10, 12 times, and that's how that works sometimes.
1: So you mean it would have? It would take either a penny yeah, or a dime? Yeah, the slide
0: was made so you'd accept a dime or a penny. You could, that's not too big and you,
1: a change. And you just put dime on it? Yeah, and a dime. But if they that. put a penny in it, it would still work. i got to tell
0: you a bad story about me right now. i got some machines that, when you put the coin in, it's very slow to start. I don't know what, why that is or electronically why it is. So some machines, instead of a quarter, I might get 50 cents. Because by the time they put the second quarter in, it hasn't started yet. So that way... <laughs> what do you mean it would have started on a quarter? <laughs> yeah, it would have started on a quarter, but it was delayed, so I don't know. You got to make some money. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. uh, Did you have any other good tricks? I can't tell you all the tricks. You can't. You you know, the carnival people had a lot of good tricks. Like the basketball hoops used to throw a ball in. They're so small, that hoop, the only way you can get in is drop it straight down vertically. And they had other, uh, you know, those ring tosses where you throw money on and different things where you have to add up. I think carnival people are pretty slick the way they are. There's the old hustle and uh, they hustled and my wife was from a little town in Kentucky. They're telling us they used to go in these small towns and these guys are drunk, they're trying to get their girlfriends a big a big stuffed animal and so on. And yeah there's fights and so on and next morning they were gone, you know, because some of these guys are gonna come back and kill these guys. <laughs> Anyways that's what it is, uh, you don't how do you see any carnivals traveling around like that like you used to Especially those little back hills where they never saw much of anything,
1: so how long do you think you're going to keep going with uh with the museum?
0: well, play at least I got a son now that uh, working in there and taking over a little bit. you know you work hard all your life developing something you like to see it keep going, but it always doesn't happen like that, and the changing times and the changing attitudes and yeah you know, time changes what was good today is not necessarily good tomorrow. Just like the video games. These people used to put out Pac-Mans. They couldn't lose. They could not lose. And and used to buy a game. I think the first Pac-Man, I, I can't tell exactly, but they were eight or 900 or 700 And today, that same game is 3500 So your return on investment took a long, lot longer time than it used to be. And... uh
1: you mean to buy a video today is thirty five hundred? Yeah.
0: yeah, or a pinball. Look how much the a pinball a new pinball day. Yeah, it's how much dollars yeah, Well,
1: it's you know around four ish.
0: Yeah, so it used to be two ish, and uh, you know they, of course you didn't get three for a dollar. He's got a quarter play, but still, I mean the prices keep going up and going up, and and then when people stop coming to your place, to hit beans beamed on both ends, haven't we? But So it's a tough environment. Yeah, a tough environment. That's why they went from eight pinballs a year to how many now? Play one or two? Yeah, well... Or three, had, maybe? Yeah, something like that. You know how many manufacturers they used to have? Right. And now how many they got? One. One it used to be... But then when when uh, Gottlieb, who's... Isn't that, what's the name of... Stern. Stern Gottlieb were the main pinballs years ago. Well, you mean Williams, Bally... Yeah, William. and then
1: Data East. So
0: Williams Valley Bally joined in. Lead. Williams Bally and Atari went together, didn't they? Well, I think
1: it, it was a progression of buyouts, yeah. Yeah, it
0: went together. So you but, know, if you
1: can't beat your competition, you might as well just buy them and then squash yeah. them, <laughs> which is pretty much what Williams did to Bally, you know.
0: By the way, is that new pinball out yet that uh, whatever that was called, uh, the Family Guy? No, no, the one from Illinois?
1: Oh, the Big Bang Bar.
0: Yeah, is that out yet? Not yet. Still waiting. When's it supposed to come out? Next yeah. year? Next uh, week? <laughs> next come on, next it's month. It's always
1: next month. It's always next month with that one. All right, Marvin. Well, I appreciate your time. Do um, you got anything else you want to add or any well, closing I to comments? Show you my new one. Oh, you want to show your? Uh, yeah. yeah what is this
0: thing? Yeah, let me let me turn it on. Right? Uh, these are called automata, and if you can notice in here, all the gears and levers, levers. And it's, it's not shutting off, but this is called The Price of Chickens. If you would see beautifully, the faces, how they've been done. And this one lady comes, and she wants to buy a chicken. So she's telling her what price. She shows her the chicken. And then when she looks, she's a little cheaper. No. or oh, she puts the chicken away. End of, end of the story. It's beautiful. Beautifully made. A piece like this, how much think... Where's it made? England. England. Some real craftsmen that do these automata. They're all made so these cogs and gears are, are what tell the story. The only one thing bad is, these are made out of wood, they don't last. As a piece of brass would last. But I still think they're nice. And uh, I coin-operate these things, and people, people like these things. Yeah. If you'd see the faces and the jaw jawing down about it, I, mean, it's very nice. I, have a, I have a new machine called Dr. Chop Handoff. <laughs> you stick your hand in a glove, move your fingers around. There's a guillotine comes down, <whistles> hits down. If that doesn't scare you, then the blood squirts out. Like there's a car wash, a car wash pump and motor in there. And they fill it with this red stuff, and the blood shoots out. I have some other interesting new games in my place.
1: So all this stuff you buy, a lot of this stuff you're buying from England... And it comes like this. It's not coin operated.
0: Oh, and well, then, I can make it coin operated. And that's what you do. Yeah, usually all you need is a timer. Except if it's a sequence, you time it for so many seconds, and that's it. Hmm. But I think they're really, really nice. They're friendly. They're nice. Right. They're expensive, but
1: they're still nice. They are. Well, like how much is something like this?
0: Well, you know, unfortunately, it's two dollars for a pound. Used to be, used to buy a pound for a dollar and a half it cost you two dollars. So. Oh,
1: you're talking about a British
0: pound. Yeah. So you know, you think about a thousand pounds. You think a thousand dollars, but it's two thousand dollars. So,
1: yeah, I see the serial number on this one is sixteen.
0: Well, he just made sixteen and fifteen. He actually, he made this after his run was over, because I made a deal with him on something else. And, uh, but that's that's a very low. job, yeah, but look how the paint job is very really nice. Right, right, very custom. Well, custom. very cool, custom. Yeah, it's cool. I still, it's still coin-operated, it's still mechanical. I really enjoy these, and they're still good craftsmen. I mean, like I say here, just because it's old doesn't make it the best. What was that? It
1: was a chicken? It was need, a chicken? I need
0: one of those for my phone. Yes. Can we call you in?
1: Right, and if uh, you know, if anybody wants to call Marvin and ask him any questions, it's one eight hundred. If uh, you got any questions for marvin but you so you like these um you like these automatrons Why do they call it automata what do they call automata
0: because they're you know animatronics is the electronic version of this they work on it's on uh, uh, you know air compressed air and air cylinders for the movement animatronics these are called automata because they 're all Handmade with these cogwheels and levers and, and uh, springs. And very nice. I like them. Hello. You have a question hey, for Marv?
1: George from California. Hi, George. How are you? Good. I, I want to ask a question about... I, I visited uh, Marvins a while ago, and I went to the bathroom, and he had this cool thing, the you know, air dryer to wash your... or, you know, blow your hands off. And that's what I mean, literally, blow your hands off i like to know a little bit about that.
0: <laughs> well, first of all, old, I mean, uh, the reason the bathrooms they have air dryers is because if you put, say, paper towels, a person doesn't use one, they'll take 20 and throw it all over the floor. So it's a constant mess in, in the bathroom. Now, the other hand dryers never got too ha- hot or they were never really very strong. And uh, I found this at a show, too, this IAPA show. And uh, maybe I embellished that story a little bit too much. But you you know how good it dries your hands. I mean, that thing will dry your hands in five seconds. What so
1: it is old? it like? Better than well, ones I see in normal restaurants? Yeah, because
0: it's a big, high, it's a high uh high Like volume. a jet engine. Yeah, like it's a like a jet, jet engine. engine. <laughs> how you know, like I mean, that? You it,
1: like that, huh? And I, I seem to remember there being a sign like it was some
0: prototype. Yeah, hey, I phone. put a prototype, but only me and Disney had them. So yeah. I,
1: I mean—is that a real story, or I,
0: I don't know? You know, it's Marvin, a real story.
1: Marvin likes to embellish things a bit. Well, I, I would listen, say. But wait a minute! I don't.
0: When I do something, like that, I don't hurt anybody. I just see how much you're in California. You still remember that story?
1: <laughs> so I came back and told everybody about this prototype I saw from Disney.
0: <laughs> uh, I, hope, I hope you didn't tell the Disney engineers. <laughs> for liable, be liable for some. So I'm glad you stopped in. Did you like the place?
1: Yeah, yeah, I got tons of pictures, and, and I'm a magician also, so I liked all the uh, the old magic, uh, I don't know what you call them, tarps or whatever you had hanging
0: on the wall. And oh, yeah, no, those are magic posters. Those are all original from the 20s, and they used to be made, they used to wheat paste those on the, wa- on the walls of barns and so on. Of course, today you got promo with television and radio. Those days, you just had to make it look so interesting that you, damn, I have to go see that show. And you walk by it instead of driving by it where you couldn't read it. But uh, I magicians, I bet in my place, Cockfield comes in, he says, you can see the passion in my place. Teller's been in. Oh, Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller. He actually, he's very eloquent the way he speaks. You know, he never speaks on stage, but he's very, very good. And I mean, nice education, too. Then uh, Amazing Jonathan, have you seen him in Las Vegas? He's been in. He's, he's actually in the Detroit area, too. So. He's from Detroit? Yeah, he's from Madison Heights or something. Huh. So I, like, I mean, uh, I like magic machines, too. And big David Capital has a big collection of, uh, of magic-related things. You know, like they use the Blue Room Illusion or Pepper's Ghost. You know what that is. No. You no, know, must sir from California, you know what Pepper's Ghost is. Hello? Yeah, I, I was really surprised with all the other...
1: Um, like the uh, the food inspector thing that you have in there, the guy that yukes in a trash
0: can. Oh, you like that? <laughs> Actually, if you if you read it real closely, that star on his chest says brothel Inspector." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll play take a picture of it next time.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a unique one. That's another Gene Poor one where the guy looks he looks alive, he looks real. He's holding the trash can, and he's the inspector, and basically he. He barfs in the in the trash can, and it really looks like he's barfing. I mean, it's like brown liquid. It's Actually, I, I gave this,
0: this guy, Gene Poor, who does stuff so realistic. Remember how realistic that face is and the hands? And with the air cylinders, you can make it move like a normal, like a movement. Actually, I saw that at the show, and I told him about it, and I said, make me one, and he did. Really.
1: <laughs> and I was uh, looking around at just some of the stuff. Like hanging and mounted on the walls. I saw some old Chuck E. Cheese.
0: uh, Yeah, the Chuck E. Cheese uh,
1: animatronic stuff. Alright, we're going to let you go. We got somebody else calling, and we're going to grab them. Alright, thank you much. Thank you. you. Alright. Hello. We're on the air with Marvin. Hey, Marvin is the corn. I got a question. Who is this? This is Vince. The corn. The corn. Alright, go Uh, on. What's the difference between a Calliope and a Nickelodeon?
0: Well, there's two things Cliope either call it, circus people call it a calliope. And other people call it cliope. Now there, a cliope or a calliope they're usually steel pipes. You know steel pipes they tune in uh, either by steam pressure or by a compressed air. The older ones were steam operated, they used to have a boiler and they used to you know, feed that boiler up to a certain whatever it is, pressure and then it, they still used a roll, but they, they had these uh, real neat 100 pipes or 80 pipes. So that was called a cliope. It used to be, oh, the cliope also was mobile. That was mounted either in a circus wagon or on a truck. I I had a beautiful one one time, mounted on a Model A pickup. Mounted on a Model A pickup? Model A, a double-wheeled stake truck, not a pickup. It was a back double wheel uh, I remember the engine used to overheat because it was Pretty heavy to haul around that Palliope. Well, how big was this thing? Well, let's see. You know, I think... It, you call them by the notes, and I can't remember. It was 64-note Palliope. That's how they... You know, like a four-octave. That's how they used to call them by So the
1: this thing p- was mounted in the back of a truck?
0: Yeah, mounted in the back of the truck, I had a truck. And what would you do? When was this? I had a little air compressor on there. Well, I mean, what I year everybody was this? I my drugstore on there. I used to drive around, but people... You know, I used to rent it out. I even went to the Ford prototype factory once. You know, they had a kid's day or something. They had me playing. A
1: kid's day and they had you. Well, they (laughs)
0: had me playing outside, wherever that is. You probably know where it is, but... You mean at Henry Ford? Yeah, at a Ford, no, a Ford factory, one of the prototype factories. where They made these, he told me they made two of every car in this place. So, you know, then they figured out how they, how it would work on a conveyor and so on. But... The only problem having something like that is people want to rent it from you, they always want to rent it on July 4th, Labor Day, Holidays, when you didn't want to be tied up with this thing. The worst part about it, I had the Model A. It never worked, never ran right. When I had a, a be someplace, you know, it was, it's hard.
1: You because you know, couldn't get it started yeah, or whatever? Yeah, couldn't
0: get it started to go there. But I, I, uh, yeah, those are nice music yeah. Huh. Alright, well, hey, thank you, Vince.
1: Thank you. All right, take care. All right, Marvin. I think we're gonna we're gonna call it a night. All right, and I appreciate uh, I appreciate you coming and. Uh